for our diving Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Raw Recovery with Dion Miller. Uh, today, I have a fellow recovery coach from the Hornbuckle Foundation and a friend of mine, Lexi. Lexi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Now, do you prefer, because uh, I noticed you're on here is Alexandra, do you prefer Lexi? Yes, Lexi. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate you coming on. Um, we'd uh, we had set up a couple times before coronavirus decided to mess with it. You know, we're recovery coaches, so sometimes things come up. Um, so I'm glad that we were able to finally sit down and get to do this. Yeah. Um, I know that you've been excited to do it. So let's get to it. Everybody, welcome Lexi to the show. Um, and let's get started. Why don't you tell us your story, Lexi? All right. Thank you. Um, well, I'm Lexi. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Lexi. Um, I was born in Austin, Texas, okay. um, but have lived in Colorado since about the age of two. Okay. Um, spent a few years in Arizona while my mom went to grad school okay. um, with my grandparents. Um, and my grandparents were huge in helping my mom raise me because... Wow. Okay. Um, my parents got divorced when I was two. Okay. Um, and um, at about, I, I don't really know what age, but uh, before the age of six, my father kidnapped me and took me from my mother. Wow. Okay. Um, and during that time, I was exposed to a world um, of alcoholism and addiction mm -hmm. and um just trafficking and negativity and um sexual abuse um and so when i my older sister um who was there um told my mom one day when my dad had left called my mom and my grandparents and told them where i was and how to find me wow um, and so when I got back home, I was a very angry, angry little girl at that and point. And a much different person, point. probably. Yes, absolutely. Um, my dad had told me over and over again that my mother hated me. Okay. Um, and that if I ever told anybody what happened, I would be killed. Um, wow. And at that time, he had cut my hair and told me to tell people I was a boy named Alex Smith. Um, so still to this day, if you call me Alex, I get like, okay. emotional. Right. <laughs> you know, when I asked you in the beginning, if you prefer that, I kind of noticed your eyes went a little wide. So yeah. I was actually kind of curious about that. Um, so Alexandra, I can handle, but Alex just absolutely brings Not. just like a knot in my throat. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I've heard your story a little bit too, and I have some of the similarities of the 
speech and the glasses and the wandering eye. And, you know, my family fought really hard not to have labels put on on me. Yeah. Um, But as a child in school, when you're in a classroom that's separate from all the other students, Mm -hmm. you know, people call you mentally retarded and all these names. Um, Mm -hmm. So I grew up kind of with that identity. Yeah. Um, Great way to put it. And uh, for most of elementary school, like at recess or something, I sat in the corner of the playground by myself Uh um, and just didn't talk to people outside of my house. Um, Just really didn't feel safe doing that. Yeah. Well, Um, and I didn't, and I didn't trust any of them. No, not at all. I'm, you know, I certainly wasn't going to talk to any, you're making fun of me because of my patch and the way that I talk. I'm certainly not going to talk to anybody about things going on at home. I'm already embarrassed enough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, those days. And it makes my heart wrench even to this day. So, and, you know, I came from a family that was um, privileged. Okay. Not, not rich per se, but, you know, we didn't want for a lot. My mom... Yeah you know, did get her master's education and got a job at IBM. So she spent a lot of time trying to make sure I had every resource I needed to succeed. That's awesome. Um, But at the same time, I was rebelling from Mm. about six years old, hating her. Um, And, you know, I was lucky. I participated in a... uh, um, program through a company called Landmark Education okay. at, at the age of 12 or 13. I think it was 12. Um, and that helped me start to talk to people in public and to okay. have forgiveness for my mom. Um, okay. So that was Good. one of the things that helped me. Um, but by my 13th birthday, I had my first drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, we had just won the state championship in basketball (laughs) and we went to my mom's house. She wasn't there. Um, and I drank a bottle of wine and I had two friends and they had a glass and I finished the rest of the bottle. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I threw the bottle on our tile floor thinking it would break. No. Um, and it broke the tile floor, not the wine bottle. Um, and at that time I just wanted more, like Mm -hmm. I wanted more and more. And so my friends had me drink wine and vinegar saying that it would get me drunker. And I can still remember being in that bathroom all night long, Mm -hmm. sicker than I've ever been in my entire life. Oh yeah. And the next morning I got up and I wanted more. And I, I wanted to do it again. And I went out and got Everclear. Wow. Um, and you spent graduated home. fast, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I went straight from a bottle of wine to Everclear. Um, and I spent most of that summer in a blackout. Yeah. Um, and it was after that my mom had just moved to Woodland Park, Colorado from okay. Netherland, Colorado. I grew up in small mountain towns. Uh-huh. Um, and my grandfather had been staying with us in Netherland and I was going to go to school there with him. And after that summer of my behavior and my blackouts and my running away, 
um, my mom said, no, you need to come live with me. Yep. Um, but for the next several years, I ran away from home all the time. Um, I dropped out of school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just drank and, and she would try to put me in treatment centers. And I remember her taking me to Cedar Springs okay. and then doing like this alcohol survey on me. Uh-huh. And I just knew how to answer the questions to yeah. get out. Like I was just a weekend party drinker and mm-hmm. social, like I would describe how my friends drank Yeah. Um, versus the fact that I would have gallons of vodka in my mm-hmm. backpack at all times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my grandpa was 81 and he joined AA. He quit drinking. And wow. I asked him once why he did that. And he said, so someday I would know there was a place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I didn't go then. It would be another 20 years yeah. before I got to AA. Um, but shortly before he died, he died when I was 17. He asked me to go back to school and graduate. Yeah. Um, and I did. Good for you. Um, and I, I went to college and, um, I still did a lot of drinking. Um, mm-hmm. but it kind of, I would go through these phases. I went through the changing what I drank Yeah. when I drank. Um, and when I was 19, I had a doctor tell me if I, if I took even one sip of alcohol, I would die. Yeah. Um, and so I quit for a long, long time. All right. Um, and then in 2001, I uh, was raped in Austin, Texas. And I had put myself in a situation. I was smoking pot with these guys and took a mm-hmm. ride from them. Um, and they had asked me like, do you you want to ride? And I said, no. And they were like, what are you racist? And like something inside me was like, no, I'm not racist. And I got in the car and, um, I woke up in a room with these men and I ended up lighting myself on fire with cigarettes because I wanted to tell them I had a disease. Yeah. Um, anything to try to get out because I could hear them talking about not letting me go. Um, And after that, I got back to Colorado and I started drinking again, heavily. 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 Um, I'm sorry that happened to you. Thank you. Um, It's just, you know, in every traumatic thing that's happened in my life, I've had goodness come from it. Yeah. Um, and from that, like that, I started dating my kid's dad in high school Okay. Uh, and we separated right before I went to Texas and to Amsterdam and I was down there and then we got back together when I came back. Okay. Um, and you know, then nine 11 happened and we decided that what were we waiting for to get married? We want to, we want to have our family. Yeah. Um, and shortly after I got pregnant with my oldest, um, and a couple years later, I lost my daughter. She was born still, stillborn. Okay. Um, and at that point, that's when the pain meds came into my drinking. Okay. Um, 
And it was, I, I could go to work and I could get through the day working. I worked at a juvenile detention and treatment center. Okay. Um, and I loved what I did. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I could muster up the strength to roll out of bed to help these girls. Yeah. But then I would get home and I, I just had to black out mm-hmm. and I would take whiskey shots and Vicodin until I fell asleep. Wow. Um, and, you know, our, we saw a marriage counselor who advised us to go on a romantic weekend because mm-hmm. um, our marriage was ending. Okay. Um, and that's when I got pregnant with my youngest son. Okay. Um, and we had decided that weekend that, you know, there was too much anger and fighting mm-hmm. that, you know, we weren't going to get back together. Um, but then I got pregnant, um, and we decided that we really wanted to keep my son. Good. Um, and you know, that's where I was, you know, I explained to my kids sometimes, like I was a very abusive alcoholic, Mm -hmm. um, verbally and physically. Um, and you know, at that point, um, I was able to quit through both my pregnancies or all three of my pregnancies. Good. Um, but then when my youngest son was about six months old, I started drinking again. Okay. Um, and, uh, around that time I, um, I was blackout drinking again. My five-year-old son at the time, was pouring out my alcohol every chance he could find it. And so I had these, I would buy like five different bottles Mm -hmm. so that when he would pour it out, I'd be able to find it again. Yeah. Um, And, you know, when I was talking to him yesterday about my alcoholism, he said, well, make sure you tell people that, you know, you gave me Skylar when, I was five years old and told me you were too drunk, you know, and yeah. he, he was five and I gave him a six month old child and said, watch him. I'm too drunk. Yeah. Um, and you know, that still wasn't enough. Um, and in August of that year, um, I was at my sister's wedding rehearsal mm-hmm. and everybody was drinking, but I, I was stealing the tequila that my, her and my brother-in-law now collect tequila from all over the world. Okay. And I was stealing that so people wouldn't know how much I was drinking. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I, I thought I was told that I wasn't allowed to go to my sister's wedding if I didn't go to an AA meeting. Okay. Um, my sister says she, it wasn't her that said that, but someone in my family had told me that. Sure. Um, so at six o'clock in the morning, the day of her wedding, my uncle took me to my first AA meeting. Okay. Um, and then we went to the wedding and it, lots of drinking at the wedding, but I wasn't allowed to drink. Yeah. Um, and my aunt decided that she was going to be my temporary sponsor for 90 days. Okay. Um, and so that is the time in my first bout of AA that I actually did AA like it was supposed to be done. Wow. Okay. Um, I read the big book. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh-huh. 
Um, and I read a book called Living Sober, um, which mm. helped me a lot to mm -hmm. understand just kind of the chemical stuff that was happening to me and the yeah. food allergy. And, mm -hmm. um, and at that time, I was working as a paraeducator. I was also working at a detention center. Um, and I got a sponsor. Um, and I was going to meetings, um, and at about a year sober, right, just before a year, I was in a car accident. Okay. Um, and my leg was cut almost in half. Wow. Um, right. And that, so that was 2011. Okay. Um, and that's when pain meds came back into the picture. Yeah. Um, but I, I took them as prescribed for four years uh -huh. um, and didn't drink and still participated in AA. Mm -hmm. um, and, but they were killing me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were definitely killing me and the treatment centers wouldn't take me because I was taking them as prescribed. Correct. Yeah. That's a, con that's a heck of a conundrum too. Yep. Um, so at that point I gave my kids to their dad, um, okay. and told them cause for a while I was keeping them, okay. um, and barely giving him visitation it was pretty selfish yeah. um, during that time. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I gave them to him and I went to Missouri. Okay. Um, and you know, I went to Missouri because I had some friends who said they could help me get off pain meds. Okay. And I believe that. I believe that they could or I was going to kill myself. Yeah. It was like either this will work or I'm going to kill myself. Um, and when I was 18 days off of the pain medication, I was sharing my story um, in front of a group of people at an AA meeting. And I left halfway through um, and decided to relapse on meth and alcohol. Okay. And at that point, you know, I could not even tell you what I was thinking yeah. or why, or just, it was kind of like, what's the point? Yeah. Like I'm in Missouri, my family's in Colorado. What the fuck am I staying sober for? Yeah. Um, and you, I relapsed that day. Um, and when I did that, I called everybody I knew, yeah. um, and was horrible to them. Mm -hmm. Um, my kid's father has a woman that he's marrying soon who has, he's been with for 10 years. Uh -huh. And I called her and blamed her for the end of my marriage and yeah. everything, even though she had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, and at that point, hi, I got in my car in Missouri, um, and I had a loaded firearm and I drove to Colorado and, you know, by the time I got there, my, yeah. I, the, they had gone to the court and said, she's a danger to these yeah. kids and needs supervised visits. Yep. Um, and part that I like missed a little bit to backtrack 
before I relapsed and came to Colorado, I started dating someone in the program okay. who relapsed and he had attacked me and my kids. Um, and so that's, it was like he had attacked me. I was trying to hide from him and the pain meds were killing me, which yeah. is why I gave the kids to their dad. Um, and the courts found that I was not safe yep. to be with my kids um, and asked me to take a drug test. Mm-hmm. And I refused because um, I thought if they saw the meth in my system, I'd yeah. never get my kids back. Correct. Yeah, you probably wouldn't have. Um, and so I drove back to Missouri, um, and at that point started shooting up meth and just hoping to die. Yep. Um, and you know, I don't know how long I was on that track, but within six months to a year is about how long I was down there using. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a three bedroom house. I put everything in the yard, gave it away. Wow. um, And just doing everything I could to die. Um, Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by really dangerous men and very dangerous places. Um, And then got myself involved in like human trafficking, being trafficked. Wow. Um, and like somebody had put my picture on a site called Backpage, which is not in existence anymore, but it's, yeah, I know what Backpage is. Sure. I do. Um, and so, and I was, I was advertised as someone who likes to fight. Um, and so men would like buy me to beat me up and I would like fight back. Um, and at, some point I got out. I was at this time, I'm still in a walker in a wheelchair. I'm still not walking from this car accident. Um, and I woke up one morning, just completely beat up in a ditch. Um, and I was hitchhiking like no clothes. And I remember counting 147 people go by me who wouldn't help me. Um, and finally someone called the police and the policeman just said, I know who you are. Um, and pretty much said, I, I deserved it. Um, because he had known me to be a prostitute and a car thief. Um, and you know, as part of my amends, I had to look at my my police record. And one of the things that was on there is I got really high one day and I stole a car. I thought it was my car um, because my Jeep keys fit into it. Yeah. Um, But it was an undercover officer's Jeep. (laughs) And so that's like, I can laugh at that now. (laughs) Yeah, we can laugh at it now. (laughs) Um, But the officer refused to press charges because he said he could tell that I was not in my right mind. Oh, wow. And he believed me that the car keys fit in there. Yeah. Um, and it was probably a week later that I got to treatment. Um, and I got to treatment after a suicide attempt. Um, okay. I, I had tried to shoot up um, bleach, hoping that it would kill me. Yeah. Um, 
And I was sitting on train tracks thinking if it didn't, then the train would. Then the train will definitely, um, yeah. And for whatever reason, it didn't kill me. It just, my vein like exploded and it was the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. Yeah. Um, and I had a member of my home group, an AA, come into my head and okay. tell me that if I came back to Colorado and did AA like it was supposed to be done yep. and used the big book, that I would never feel this pain again. Yeah. But if I ever tried to kill myself at the expense of an innocent person, like a train driver, I would be yeah. stuck in this purgatory hell. Um, forever. And yeah, forever. And, you know, I get that it could have been a hallucinization, but it was a God thing yeah. for me. The, um, I would consider that a spiritual experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I kept trying to get people to let me in. I went, I tried to admit myself to the hospital. They wouldn't take me. Um, and so I jumped in front of a car and mm -hmm. said, I need help, please. Yeah. Some, I need help. And the woman who I jumped in front of, it's another God thing, just happened to be from adult protective services. Uh-huh. And my family and one of my old clients in Colorado had put a missing persons out on me. And yep. she said, Lexi, I know exactly who you are. Yep. Um, and I went to treatment. Um, and they put me in like a maximum security unit because sure. I was still very combative. Yeah. Yeah. You um, had to be protected from yourself. Yeah. And very suicidal and coming off a lot of meth. Yeah. Like, that I had more meth in my system than they had really ever seen. It, it and just, alcohol and pain meds um, and bleach and, and fuck yeah, and girl. Just a ton. Yeah. Um, and partway through treatment, I think 30 days in, I wanted to leave. And then the judge mandated that I needed to stay longer. Yeah. Um, and I, I got sober. I got weight put on me. Um, at that point, the doctor at the treatment center had told my family she's not an alcoholic she's bipolar um and put me on bipolar meds okay and, which is like the worst diagnosis i think i've ever got i i absolutely agree yep um i left the treatment center at three when i was discharged and by five o'clock i'm like oh i can drink like a normal person as yeah i'm just bipolar thanks bipolar meds. <laughs> so you know by five o'clock i was high again yeah well you know um, i think it gets mixed up with bipolar a lot and i could see that i yeah. see why because when i drink i have multiple personalities Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. So yeah, no, no duh, doc. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, the good thing about treatment was I have not shot up since that day. Um, I used awesome. differently. Um, and you know, when I got out of treatment, I had been evicted from my house. Okay. Um, that's where I became homeless. Um, and I was only using for about two and a half weeks when 
I decided that I needed to stop and I wanted to go back home to Colorado. Good. Um, and, you know, I, I, I got beat up pretty bad. I got in a fight. I tried to call my family and my family is kind of like, we're not, we're not going to help you. You yeah, need we're, to, we're done, honey. You need to help yourself. Like yeah. I had used every resource throughout my life because yeah. I was constantly getting myself in dangerous situations, expecting yeah. my family to bail me out. Yep. Um, and they had over and over and over again, and they were done. Yep. They discovered, um, they discovered tough love, which was yeah. probably the best thing for, for them and you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so at that point, I, I was on disability from the car accident. Um, and I didn't have an ID. I had no way to get to my money. But I found a car dealership um, who was willing to help me direct deposit money into getting a car. Okay. Um, and I was still running around with dangerous people and still doing really stupid shit um, and making drugs and carrying drugs and giving drugs away. And um, at that point, trying to use my money to tell people how to cut drugs yeah. so that it was safer than fentanyl, which is yeah. super fucking illegal. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I got arrested um, for, um, I had known a drug dealer and she was like, this person had threatened someone that I knew okay. for owing money who All was right. 17. Yeah. Um, and so I decided to go through her house with like one of those big yard stakes yeah. and broke her window. Um, and so got a court case for myself yeah uh, which probably saved my life <laughs> um and at that point i'm still trying to buy this car and i'm uh -huh. homeless and i'm doing stupid shit and yeah. um telling the probation office that i need to go home and they're not listening because i'm still like the cops are watching me at this point with oh yeah you, and you I, are and on I didn't their know. radar absolutely yeah. absolutely i was um, and so one night I like took off from the person who was helping me because I had, they had helped me. I found this biker who helped me and took me to court and took me to church. But their condition for me staying there was I was not allowed to use or drink. Yep. Um, and about three weeks in, it was like, fuck that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I took off and I was I locked myself in this garage um, and someone had set it on fire because they wanted the drugs that they knew I had. Yeah. Um, and that was October 7th, 2015. Okay. Um, and I haven't drank or used since. Um, at that wow. point, when the fire department got me out, um, they handed me over to the Springfield police um, and they took me to court and my probation officer said, you're going to get yourself killed. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I was absolutely insane. Sure. Um, and she said, you know, you violated probation again. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we're supposed to put you in prison. Um, and I was like facing years mm -hmm. for the car theft, for making drugs, for selling drugs, selling drugs for prostitution, drugs. Yep. just all this shit. Um, and they said, if you leave Springfield by five o'clock today and go back to Colorado, we'll extend your probation to Colorado. But if you fail even one UA, you, we're going to extradite you back and you're going to prison. Yep. Last chance. It was my last chance. Yep. Very last chance. Um, and I, I left. Um, and I, I got pulled over in Kansas going 100 miles an hour mm -hmm. in a car that had no tags. And he let me go. Like he saw the court papers and my conditions and he's like, honey, just go. Get to Colorado, um, please. Yes. <laughs> um, my first stop when I got to Colorado probably should have been to see my kids, but I went to an attorney and, okay. and said, you know, it was my attorney when I was a kid mm -hmm. um, that my family had gave me out of trouble when I was a kid. And he was, he told me, I'm not going to help you. You got to get yourself out of this. Yep. You know, this is on you. Um, Sounds like your lawyer was in the program. Yes. <laughs> it sounds uh, so like he knew something. Something. Yeah. Absolutely. I have no idea, but I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Um, so then I showed up at my mom's house, very entitled. Like, you need to let me stay here and live yeah. here and I'm back and you know, at that point, I'm, I weighed 86 pounds. Um, wow. I had like pneumonia, super sick. Yeah. My mom said, you can stay for a night. She let, it gave me some clothes. Yeah. I had nothing. Um, I, I had the clothes that I was wearing that I had made out of rags I found in a dumpster. Uh-huh. Um, and I still have them. I'm going to make a craft project with them wow. someday. Um, yeah. But the next morning, very early, she got me up and kicked me out. Yeah. Um, and by the grace of God, I, I went to the AA club that I knew in Green Mountain Falls okay. um, that night. It was going to snow. Yeah. And I thought, well, at least we can get free coffee there. Yeah. Um, and um, I had a gentleman who was staying with me who came from Missouri, and he was from the church I went to and okay. he never tried to hit on me, never did any of that. He was just going to stay with me until I found a way to have safe housing. Sure. Okay. Um, and he helped me get to meetings that first night I ran into a guy who I had known from my first time in AA. Okay. Um, he gave me a big book. And he got me a hotel and said, girl, you need to take a shower. Yeah. Um, and some clean clothes um, and told me, you know, you need to get to a meeting tomorrow morning. Yeah. Um, and the next morning I drove to Lakewood trying to see my kids, which was still not a not good idea. Not happen. No. Nope. Didn't happen. Um, but I found a meeting where I go to meetings now. Yeah. Um, and when I first walked in, the director scared the shit out of me. And I took <laughs> off, like, running. <laughs> and he 
three women like found me and yeah. they sat outside at the picnic tables with me and they read me the big book. Was that um, over at edit? A day at a time. Oh, that. Oh, that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they were my, you know, the, my angels. Yeah. Um, and they talked to me about the program. And so every day at six 30, I would go to day at a time. And I would stay there until 10 o'clock at night. Yep. Um, and then I would drive to the truck stop on 44th and 44th. Ward Road. Yep. And they would give me a hot bowl of soup and they would let me mm -hmm. sleep for five hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't know that that truck stop actually lets a lot of homeless sleep there. there and they feed them and stuff. The truck drivers over there are always helping people out. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, as long as you're behaving. Correct. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I've seen them boot you just as fast, too. Yeah, if you're yeah. trying to solicit or do anything like that, mm -hmm. they'll boot you. But if you're really trying to get yourself out of trouble, they will yep. help you. Yep, that truck stop, I've known, all, they've helped a lot of people over there. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, and it's a truck stop, you know. So, yeah. But it's, I understand it because it's the only place to get food over there because you got the American, you got the Motel 6. So, you know, yeah, over there, you know, people need to eat. So you were going to meetings. Going to meetings all day, um, getting services. I found the Jefferson County Action Center, uh -huh. which gave me clothes. Um, and a lot of the shelters wouldn't let me stay there because I still had an active restraining order, which okay. made me a danger to others. Yep. Um, but I was living in this car. Um, okay. And there was a church in Woodland Park that helped me get the car registered mm -hmm. um, so that at least it wasn't illegal. Um, and the car had the windows taped up on the side. Mm -hmm. um, and it's winter, you know, yeah. it was October to December. Um, okay. And um, I'm not sure which month I had a, my best friend, like early December, finally said come have dinner with me and mm. met me at the tomato sweet tomato okay and she said zero tolerance for bullshit zero tolerance for drugs yeah um and i was allowed to stay with her but i had to get up at six o'clock in the morning and leave when they went to work yep. and they would get home at eight or nine at night and i was allowed to come back yep um and i stayed there until christmas um, when I moved back to Woodham Park. Um, and when I got to Woodham Park, I started going to therapy. I was still going to meetings three times a day. Yep. I joined a suicide um, survivors group called Beautiful Beginnings, wow. um, which helped me so much. Yeah. Everybody in there still helps me from here. Um, and then um, I joined NAMI. Okay. Uh, which helped a lot, helped me learn about my bipolar and alcoholism and how I have to treat them both as yes. just yeah. as important. It is. Yep. Um, and so, you know, from there I started to get, do good. And I, um, I got my sponsor back. Um, cause when I was a day at a time, I was trying to lie and say, I still had five years and luckily there's an old timer there who was like girl you don't have five days yeah 
get home and get a sponsor yeah. uh, and tell the truth. Yeah. Um, and, and I did. Yep. Cause the uh, only person that was hurting was you. Absolutely. And I was going to die. I was going to die again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that went well. I was living on my own probably three months when my neighbors were smoking meth and it was right. coming through the door because yep. I lived in an old, old hotel. All right. Um, and I called my mom and I said, help. Yeah. Like, I'm going to use. And she let me come and said, you get a month. Yeah. And we'll, ch- we'll do it month by month. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. You, you, you gained some respect with your mom. Yeah. Which was huge. That, that is huge. For, huge. For, for, people like, for people like us. It's a, a freaking miracle. Absolutely. My, uh, my niece is autistic. And um, when I was a few years sober, my sister needed a, a babysitter. And it was like, you know, she had to go do something and she needed a babysitter. And she asked me. Um, and I would, you know, I was so happy the day that she asked me because before I was never reliable enough to take care of a child let alone a child with special needs yeah that's huge well so getting that trust back from family and i'm kind of a mama's boy so you know how my you know the respect for my mom and and trust is big for me yeah me too i'm a mama's girl for sure now right yeah half my life hating her and now would she I talk to her, her every day. Love stuff. I hated her. You <laughs> <laughs> but now, now I get it. Now I, you know, and I have kids of my own, and you know, and I, and I understand, and I understand all that. So, um, what's it like for you today? You do a lot more than what you're talking about now. I know that. Yeah. T- so today, you know, I I went through two and a half years of supervised visitation okay. and UAs and doing everything that the court had put in place. Um, and eventually my ex-husband and his, uh, um, I consider them wife, husband and wife now yeah. that they're going to get married, hopefully this summer if this virus will go away. Yeah. Um, and you know, they wrote a letter to the court saying that it was in my best interest, the kid's best interest to have me back in their life. Oh yeah. Um, and so I moved to Lakewood. Um, right now I live about two blocks away from my kid's dad. So they can, it takes them 10 minutes to walk yeah. between our houses. What a great setup. Yeah. And they live with both of us. Yeah. Um, and um, I have a job as a recovery coach, which yes. I love. Uh-huh. Um, I work for a re- retired police officer as okay. doing home care, like a police officer, trust me in his house. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with his family and grandchildren, um, I have a man in my life who is incredible. Um, we'll be together four years um, on awesome. the 28th of this month. Okay. Um, and, you know, he, we have a healthy relationship um, with no fighting and, you know, mutual respect. Mm-hmm. And um, I've just never had that in my life. Right. Yeah. And it, I've never been weird, capable huh? of not 
demeaning and beating up mm -hmm. on men. Yeah. Um, and so we have a really, really great friendship and relationship. Um, I, uh, a couple years ago, I tried to bring my kid um, shoes at school and they called the SWAT team because I had the restraining <laughs> order. Um, and today I have a badge. So yeah. I get to volunteer in my kid's school and in my yeah. kid's classroom. Yeah. Um, because I am, like you said, I'm trusted and I'm reliable. Um, I, you know, I, my best friend ha has me watch her children um, when she works. You know, uh -huh. my three-year-old niece, or she's almost three. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she trusts me to do that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, my brother and my sister, both of them want me around. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I have a sister in Washington who calls me all the time, who loves me, who I love, um, yeah. who, you know, my aunts and uncles who love me and trust me again. Um, and my mom, when she, she just recently moved to Arizona, but when okay. she visits, she likes to stay at my house. Yeah. And she wants to be around me. Cause it's comfortable um, there. Yeah. It's safe. Is huge. Um, she's a man, you know, she's a man five years ago, my house safe. Uh, man, I don't know way. And now anybody that walks in my house, I want to be comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And then they don't leave and I got to kick them out. So, <laughs> Um, and I have a group of women that I hang out with in AA called uh -huh. the Wild Women of Sobriety. Um, and they invited me on a camp out last year. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I kept trying to find all these excuses why I couldn't go where I had to drive so that I could like duck out if I needed to. And they're like, no, we're picking you up. You're coming. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, a group of the same women who sat there and read that big book with me in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and we do so many fun things. Like we play bunko and we go on these campouts and yeah. um, we just have a really great time. And we have group texts where we make each other smile. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. I am so proud of the women in recovery nowadays. Well, not I was before, but gosh, you women are making such a huge movement. Um, and I really like the fact that the girls are sticking together and doing what they need to do. And I think the men in recovery can really learn from that right now. I really do. Awesome. I'm glad you say that. Cause I think so. You know, I think that women should stick with women and men with men and yeah. Um, so now I, I have sponsees that I work with. Yeah. Um, I have close friends in AA that I text on a day, daily basis. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I have my group of women who I get to hang out with. Yep. Um, I have friends like, yep. you know, like real friends, huh? real friends. Um, and growing up in a small town, like I love and adore all the people I was friends with then. Sure. And through doing the steps, I get that the reason they're not in my life on a daily basis is because of my behavior. Like sure. I was, I was an alcoholic who pushed sure. everybody away and got really abusive, but mm -hmm. um, they adore me and they adore that I'm doing well today. Yeah. Well, um, and what's cool about it now is that you're in, 
we're not just trusted, but we are the people that are examples to other people. Um, I have friends that are coming and old roommates and stuff that contact me and say, Dion, I see you're sober now. What are you, what are you doing? You know, what, what changes are you making? We get to be an example because I didn't hang around non-alcoholics, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, know you know, the birds of a feather, man, you know, so most of my friends were alcoholic or addicts, you know, things like that. Yeah. We get to be examples. Yeah. Um, I learned to ride a bike in sobriety. I had never <laughs> learned to do that. Um, so I really enjoy that. Um, and I just got four years sober last October. And I got, thank you. I got a tattoo of the semicolon on my foot over okay. the suicide scar. Yeah. Um, which was a promise to myself and my kids that that would never be an option for me yeah. again. Um, and so I, cool. it's not, you know, yeah. I've, I've learned that there are resources. Um, uh -huh available and I don't have to feel that pain that that God moment on the train tracks has come true through, yeah you know working the steps of AA the way the big book says with a sponsor um, and you know learning to trust God which has also been a process for me yeah um, and you know working with others I haven't felt that pain again and I get to be there for other people yeah and, and my children yeah especially you know i was i was i had a sponsor who was very big on making sure that i put um my priorities in the right place and i still do that today so it, it's me me god and aa and then my family yeah then the rest then the rest of you go because my family depends on and before i can go out and do the work my own household needs to be okay absolutely because i need to be the example to my children um what you and i are doing and it sounds like your grandpa tried to do it also is to, to stop the generational trauma that yes. goes through generations and that's what you and you know you and i and a lot of people all of our friends we're trying to stop that now and i yeah. think it's very i think it's really important um we don't want our kids to go through what we had to go through no we don't. And, and, and my son, unfortunately, did a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, when he was 16, he overdosed because he yeah. hit what he thought was a tobacco pipe as hard as he could. Um, and it was laced with a synthetic thing. He had left the house and within eight minutes, his friends were carrying him to our doorstep. Yeah. Um, and he Fucking was just scary. overdosing. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's when I learned that my kids have their own contract with God. Yeah. Um, that's a great way to put anything, it. Anything yeah. I put between me and my sobriety will take my sobriety. That's um, true. Including, and, our, including our children. I'm, yeah. You know, alcohol and, and addiction just runs rampant in my family. Yeah. You know, my son caught the bug and my daughter caught the bug. I mean, it's just... You know, it's how we deal with it. You know, my son's been sober for quite some time. Um, my daughter's, you know, she's going back to school, getting her stuff together. But this stuff always takes time. Um, you know, the cool thing is, is 
Now we know how to deal with those situations though. Yeah. Without, without getting into anger and fear and reject and all that other shit that comes with it. You know, we can actually be calm. Uh, and this, and, and this, I do this a lot with my clients and sponsees, especially right now is I tell people, find the calm, find the serenity in the calamity right now. Find it. Yeah. If somebody's going through something tough or it seems hopeless, find the silver lining in it. Give them, go give that person some hope. For me, God is that goodness that comes mm. from pain. Yeah. That comes from, you know, he, he is the people that listen or that walked you through or um, the flowers that bloom in the deadness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God has always been there for me. I had a lot of anger, mm-hmm. but I lived through that. I yeah. lived through that experience and I believe that I did because he wants me to be there to help somebody else live through it too. Absolutely. You know, that's why I quit asking why. Like, yeah. Why did I go through this? Why, why me? Why? Because he has work for me to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's why I don't need to know any more than that. <laughs> My know? therapist always says, why not you? Yeah, exactly. Why not me? What, what am I? I'm something special. You bet I am. I'm special. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. Yes. Well, this has been awesome. You know, I'd, I'd, uh, it's been really neat doing these interviews because, you know, we, we work together and stuff, but, you know, really getting to know each other um, also gives us uh, the ability where if I come across somebody that has kind of the same story, I know where to go. I know where to send them. And that's a lot of what AA is, is or recovery is, is not even necessarily having the answers, but giving them the information where they can get the answers. Absolutely. That's what I love most about my sponsor is that if she doesn't know the answer, she looks in the book. And if mm-hmm. it's not in the book, then she asks another alcoholic. Yep. You know, she's never pretended to know it all or, you know, and she treats me, she treats me with love. Yeah. No matter what I told her. Cause at yeah. first I needed to tell my story to someone and not be judged. Exactly. You know, and and we're going to continue to create safe spaces for people. I think, I think that's why recovery coaching is working so well. It's peer-to-peer counseling and it's safe. Yes. And I love it. I love it. The girls that I get to work with and to just see that light come on, that light bulb come on and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, I can't save anyone. I used to try to save everyone. Yeah, yeah. And you can't save anybody, but I nope. can be there to hold you up mm-hmm. while you save yourself. Yep, absolutely. I can do everything but open the door. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, and that's why we do it, to see the light come on. There's nothing like working with a new person that says, it, this is like the most beautiful day I've ever seen in my life. Grass is green, yeah. you know, flowers smell good, you know, and they hit that pink cloud. Um, and it's just, it's fun to watch people get their lives back and their kids yeah. back. And, you know, and just to watch, 
to watch them stop fighting and then grow with God. Yeah. And just watching that relationship build. So awesome. Yes. Cool. I love what we do and who we do it for. Yeah. And it's, you know, before where it used to be when I first got into the program, it was, oh, shit, I got to stay sober the rest of my life. You know, and that's why we do it a day at a time. And now it's, you know what? I get to do this for the rest of my life. That's yes. fucking awesome. That's, that's I'm, I feel fine about that. No worries there. Yeah. So, well, thank you very much for coming on and yes. sharing your story. Um, a lot of courage there. Um, and I really appreciate it because, you know, what we talked about is very hard and a lot of people out there, um, don't want to say anything for, they don't want the stigmata and stuff to come back on them, you know? So it's really important that the people that have gotten past the stigmata and don't have that fear anymore that we speak up and be the voice for those people. Because some of them can't do it. And that's okay, too. There's nothing wrong with that. Really yeah. isn't. So, well, you guys, uh, thank you, everybody, for being here and listening. You know, again, we can see it, it, we have a story where it's a series of little miracles that seem to happen throughout somebody's life where God's saying, nope, not yet. Nope, not yet even when we decide to make the decision for the, for the ultimate sacrifice. Um, I did that at one point. I decided to move to California to drink, but God has different plans for us and we have to be okay with that. So I appreciate everybody being here and listening. This has been uh, Raw Recovery with Dion. In the meantime, peace out. I love you all and have a day.